welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Jill, and thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, Linda. Thank you for having me. It's always such a pleasure and an honour to speak to you. And for those people that perhaps aren't aware, you're one of our medical advisors. And we had a lady on Facebook who says um, she's a patient of yours and that you're absolutely wonderful. And if you're in the San Diego area or near, see her, she says. <laughs> and I won't say her full name, but it's Whitney. Yes. So. Oh, thank you, Whitney. <laughs> <laughs> that's really nice. So I'm hoping that uh-huh. she's, she's listening today. So what have you been doing since we last spoke to you? Ah, uh, let's see. Seen a lot of patients <laughs> and chasing down my teenagers. They're kind of both full-time jobs. <laughs> but teenagers grow up quite quickly. <laughs> they do. They do. It's um, And they're good kids. Oh, good. I mean, it, it's lovely when they're small. And at the time, you think they're going to be so demanding forever. And then time <laughs> just flies by. And that period is gone, hasn't it? You know, it goes very it quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the patients that you've been seeing, are they people with autoimmune conditions? How many would you say, on average, um, a week, new patients with autoimmune conditions do you see? Is it a common thing? Uh, It is now. Um, It used to be before I was part of the LDN community. There weren't as many and then the more patients I've seen who have autoimmune conditions it kind of um, has led to more patients coming in. And I think um, being involved with the LDN Research Trust, I see more than I, I would. Um, so I do see quite a, f- a few mm-hmm. number of patients with autoimmune diseases. I would say, but out of the new patients that I see coming in right now, we're treating more patients for alcohol-related disorders, actually, with the higher dose than autoimmune right now. Okay. Interesting. So, uh, and what results are you having with the full-dose naltrexone? On, um, we used to say alcoholics, but it's now... Um, what's the new name for it? Alcohol use disorder. Aha, uh-huh. yes. So how's that been... Very good results. Very good results. And um, just did a, a review of the literature, which will be coming for the um, the September conference. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's been exciting. So we're still getting the autoimmune patients, though. I had a, a wave of patients who were coming in for thyroid conditions. Um, that was a few months back. And I think it coincided with Dr. Wentz's uh, presentations that she did. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. It's... And that's tapered off a little bit. 
Okay. But, I mean, there are people being diagnosed every day, unfortunately, with an autoimmune condition or cancers. How are you on cancer? Do many of your patients have cancer come to you? No. I've only had just a few patients um, who had cancer come in for LDN, and it's only been fairly recently. So I haven't really had um, the benefit of seeing how they do long-term. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's something that I don't have a lot of experience with. Okay. Well, we have several questions that um, our listeners have wanted you to address. Are you ready to start? It would be. I am. It will be easier for you to read them because some of them are very long and I wouldn't know which parts are relevant to to read out. So it'd be easier if you read them out, if that's okay with you. Okay, that that works. Okay. All right, so first question um, comes from someone who says he had a serious accident in 1982, left him with an amazing super pain disorder. And he had been on fentanyl patch at 200 micrograms and then went to taking low-dose naltrexone um, just June of last year. Uh, and he said he'd been disappointed with the lack of results. He started to, with 3.5 milligrams and then has been on 4.5 milligrams. And his question is, um, should he be looking at increasing the dose? Um, and will there be a difference going past the 4.5 milligram level, or is this the best you can expect from LDN? Um, and that's a good question. The, the short answer is that um, going higher than the typical low-dose naltrexone, which should be usually considered around 4.5, it hasn't been studied as well. So we don't, we don't know. That's the short answer. Um, I don't have, the majority of my patients are not above the 4.5 milligram dose. I have two patients who are taking a higher dose, and one of them, it was, she has fibromyalgia, and it was because she saw a doctor who typically treats in the higher dose range with naltrexone. And so she came to me, I want to say, on... 15 milligrams of naltrexone or so, and I actually initially put her back down to 4.5, and she took that for a while and didn't feel as well, and so she actually ended up going back up to the higher dose, and that's where she's been since she's been my patient, and she's been comfortable and stable there. Um, The other patient I had has psoriatic arthritis, and she had gone into remission at... um, the standard low-dose naldrexone dose. And then she, um, after a year or two, she went out of remission, and I sent her to an integrative pain management clinic where they're familiar with LDN, and they actually doubled her dose and took her to 12 milligrams, and she went back into remission. So those are the only two patients that I have experience going above 4.5 milligrams. Um, I did just have a patient come in fairly recently, and she had been on the forums um, talking to patients who have central pain syndromes. And specifically in that patient group, 
other patients were reporting that they were getting more pain relief going above the 4.5 milligram dose. So I'm not on the forums, of course, with the other patients. So I can't say, you know, I can't say specifically what other patients were saying. And, you know, you can only tell so much from forums, but that was her impression. And um, based on that, she wanted to increase her dose because she wasn't getting the results she wanted. And so with the understanding, you know, that that's, hasn't been the way it's been typically dosed. She's increasing her dose little by little, and she hasn't been back in yet. She's got a follow-up appointment coming in. So the answer to your question, I guess, would be if you're not getting the results that you want at the 4.5 milligram dose, if you're not getting pain relief, there's not really any downside to increasing the dose other than maybe it wouldn't work, in which case, um, you know, you can put it back down. Um, so that's that's about the best answer I can give to that question. I'm sorry I don't I don't have more personal experience with going higher on the dosage, and there may be some other prescribers who do. Well, I hope that answers your question, Stephen. From some of the doctors that I have interviewed, it would seem some of those will increase the dose higher, um, typically like six or even up to ten, and. and there have been one or two who have gone higher by increasing it, as you were saying, slowly to find out how you tolerate it. Um, years ago, there was a doctor who would always try and find where the patient hits their opiate blockade. And some people reach that earlier than others. And when I asked him how you know you've reached it, he said, because you feel completely flat, you you don't feel well you feel as though you've hit a wall and you know it and then he Mm. used to get his patients up to that and then drop it by 0.5 and then they were fine but that's interesting yes he's the only doctor that i know who explained it in that way but there are doctors that do use a higher dose and like you said it's not going to harm you and it might might just work so maybe give it a go Stephen who knows it might uh, do something and if it does please let us know yes for sure do you want okay, to ask well, the, the next second, one <laughs> sure <laughs> second question um, a patient has uh, Sjogren's and the question is, I had great results from LDN but can no longer tolerate the GI side effects. Do you have any suggestions? And um, basically, she developed, uh, it sounds like a terrible case of vomiting reading through this. Um, and reflux medicine was not helping and she had the vomiting for six months and had daytime nausea and addressed everything else and nothing else fixed it. Um, So she ended up stopping the LDN because that was the only thing left to change. And the vomiting went away, but then the joint pain returned. Um, And then eventually, um, let's see, I think I read that the dry, yeah, the dry eyes and the dry mouth got worse. So her, her question was, she was trying to go down to the the tiniest dose that she possibly could, almost emptying the capsule, and then the vomiting would come back. 
And and so her question was, um, what to do at this point? And what I was thinking was, if she could get the compounding pharmacy to make up the LDN liquid, so then you're eliminating a couple other variables. It's just the naltrexone plus water is all it is. And you can get it made up in one milligram per ml and start off at the, you get the dropper and start off at the teeniest, tiniest dose, like, you know, a tenth of an ml, which would end up being like 0.1 milligrams, and see if just at that tiny of a dose it's going to cause vomiting. Uh, and if it, you know, if it did not, then you could just increase it really, really slowly, you know, by just like a tenth of an ml at a time and just see if you can find a point at which you come to a balance where it's not making you vomit, but you can get some amount of, of uh, pain relief from it. So that was my thought as far as that went. Linda, I don't know if you've seen well, patients who have had vomiting as a side effect. People with um, GI issues, um, Dr. Jill Smith, who did the, the Crohn's studies, found that if people had um, sublingual drops, that it absorbed bypassing the stomach and that eliminated all GI problems. So that might be a solution for this, I don't know whether it's a lady or a man, um, this, yeah, she, this person. She said, she said there was a problem getting the sublingual form of LDN in New Zealand. Okay. So I don't, but I don't know why that would be. Because isn't the sublingual just the naltrexone plus water? Or is it something different? Um, I'm not exactly sure. But I have to find out who it is. And um, if it's a compounding pharmacy, they should be able to do the sublingual without any problems anyway. Um, and I would I, think so. Yes, I do know some pharmacies who would actually ship there so anyway we will if um she would like to try the sublingual we will find a way of getting it for her or for her to be able to get it where she lives but Wonderful. yes mm, i'm sure there is a way around it and she, if she had the the good benefits um with her dry eyes and her pain it's certainly worth trying to find a way around it to be able to continue taking it. So we'll we'll help you. I'll uh, contact you after the show. Wonderful. Perfect. All right, let's see. Question number three. A patient says, I have MS, and she's taking three milligrams a day on the low-dose naltrexone. Um, and... There's three parts to her question. The first part, she says, today I had double vision. Should I ask for a higher dose of LDN? So I just wanted to um, remind patients, if you have double vision, you should see your doctor. If this is a new finding, um, you never want to just assume it's coming from one thing. But um, the, the second part of that, Going on to the higher dose of LDN, I would say yes, because the MS studies have used 4.5 milligrams. Is that correct, Linda? Yes. Yeah. So I would go up to the 4.5. And the other thing she mentioned um, at the beginning was that she was taking it in the morning. 
and um, possibly moving it to the evening dosing. There's a lot of controversy about morning and evening dosing, dosing um, but, you know, there's a theoretical um, possibility that maybe it works better in the evening. And with MS, it's serious enough that um, probably trying it in the evening um, would be um, something worth looking at unless you just can't tolerate it at night at all. And I don't, she didn't elaborate on that, or he, so she, she didn't elaborate on that, so I'm not sure um, about that. The second part of the question was um, she saw a YouTube video on using vitamin K2 for multiple sclerosis. And her question was, when LDN shuts off MS, will K2 rewrap the nerves? So um, I looked this up, um, and there were two small studies I found, um, both in animal models. I think one was an animal model and one was a cell line looking at vitamin K2 and its activity on the anti-glial cells. And from what I can interpret from the studies, because they're very technical, it looks like maybe K2 was working in a way that might be inhibiting inflammation coming from the anti-glial cells, uh, microglial cells. So, um, but, but that was the first time I'd seen that. And so would K2 rewrap the nerves? So could you have healing, I guess, would be the question. Um, and that's a more complicated question. So technically in terms of would would the K2 directly rewrap the nerves? No, because the mechanism that they're looking at is inhibiting the glial cells. Could your body heal itself on its own once the anti-glial cells or once the microglial cells are inhibited? That's a different question, and, you know, we think so but to a certain extent. Uh, Linda, would you agree with that? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, part three of this was um, inflammation is the enemy. Is there a way to shut it off? I ordered a book on the Mediterranean diet. Would that stop the inflammation? And I would say um, yes and yes. So Mediterranean diet is a very good one for anti-inflammatory diet. And it's a very good question because diet's a very important part of treating autoimmune disease. I think almost all of our I think all our prescribers would agree with that, that LDN isn't just, it's not a single thing that will fix an autoimmune problem. It has to be a comprehensive approach, and diet is definitely important, and the more anti-inflammatory diets um, seem to do better. Do you have any comments on that, Linda? I would say the biggest change I noticed was going gluten-free and dairy-free, Getting back to the first question where the lady had problems with reflux and acid and vomiting and things, I used to have to take an antiacid every day. If I didn't take it, when I lay down at night, it burnt the back of my throat. I'd wake up and I could actually make myself wake up vomiting because the mm. the acid... And um, when I went to one of the conferences um, in Chicago, two doctors were, were talking to me and asking me, what medications do you take? And I can't even remember the name now as this antiacid. And they said, oh, 
it's really not good to take every day because it it doesn't just uh, affect the acid it affects other things and it's really not good for you only take it when you have to and so I I tried that but it it wasn't that successful but when I stopped eating gluten completely I don't get it anymore that problem has gone mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. it's amazing and just I would say something as simple as eating differently it's not simple it's very difficult when you first start but it does pay rewards you know and mm-hmm. um, I'll, <laughs> I'll put my hand up I'm like everybody and uh, you get bored sometimes and we have a local farmer's market and there was a lady there who has a micro um, dairy and she had a a Guernsey cow and her milk was like 4% of fat and it was raw milk. There was no, it hadn't been pasteurised or anything and she was saying that people that can't tolerate dairy can tolerate her milk. She was doing a good sales pitch, but I hadn't had dairy for well over a year. And uh, she persuaded my husband to to give it a go because he had, before he gave up dairy, he had problems on his hands. His skin used to go flaky for Mm -hmm. maybe 20 plus years. He'd seen everybody and they kept saying to put cream on the top, but the cream didn't sink in. It didn't ever stop. The skin, it, mm-hmm. it it just sat on the top. Anyway, it didn't work. Going dairy-free, his hands cleared up in a couple of weeks. Unbelievable. He'd had, wow. this, had this for years. So he wanted to try this milk, and we'd had our grandson with us, and he wanted this lady made some banana milk. So it's like a milkshake, but it was with real bananas, and it, it didn't have colourings or flavourings or preservatives. It was all all fresh. Well, I like the banana milkshake. I love bananas. And our grandson went home and hadn't taken the milkshake. So my husband uh-huh. said, oh, you like banana milkshake. Try it. So uh-huh. I put a little bit in the glass, about an inch. Oh, and it was gorgeous, Jill. It tasted absolutely <laughs> wonderful. So I kept going back, just having a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I looked at the bottle and there was, it, there was a pint. It was a pint bottle. And I drank half of it. And I thought, instead of keep coming backwards and forwards, it, it doesn't keep. So I'll just fill my glass up and drink it, which I did. Mm-hmm. So about midnight, my stomach was gurgling. I mean, literally going... And it was keeping me awake. It wasn't painful or anything. But then, like, four o'clock in the morning, I had diarrhoea. And it was unbelievable. I mean, you wouldn't think how many times you can go to the toilet and still have something left inside. And my stomach gurgled um, for three days. Three days, and you you could hear it just going, and it was so unhappy. And if anybody now asks me to drink some milk, there is no (laughs) way (laughs) I'm ever going to drink milk again. It was an awful experience, and it just, it's not worth it, is it? So obviously, I really can't tolerate milk. And I had um, 
SIBO as well and I've, uh, this year. And I've had that sorted out. And um, Dr. Leonard Weinstock um, made different suggestions and I'd been on the FODMAP diet, which is, if anybody knows what that is, a diet that doesn't really... Um, include many foods but I've, I've had a food sensitivity test and i am um sensitive to gluten and wheat and some nuts some fish um sesame seeds even yeast eggs so many things and that i know it's made life somewhat difficult i'd like to introduce dr gerard younger phd from the united states good morning gerard Good morning. Could you tell us first a bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. I am uh, originally trained as an experimental psychologist, and I was trained as a health psychologist, which means I do research on uh, psychological therapies and pharmaceutical therapies for various conditions. I'm now an assistant professor at Stanford University in the uh, Division of Pain Medicine. Mm -hmm. And how did you first find out about LDN? I originally heard about LDN off of the Internet. So the first thing I heard was from the Internet, and it was, I can't remember the exact site now, but it was kind of a uh, not-for-profit site that was just basically talking about individuals' experiences with LDN. And I didn't think too much about it at the time, um, but then I ran across some scientific studies by basic scientists where they were looking at uh, mice models and they found that giving naltrexone was reducing inflammation in the brain. So when I read that second part, I put the two together and thought, well, there may be something to this LDN, so I might as well uh, give it a try for fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. And you've also done some studies, I understand. Yeah, so we, our first study was published in 2009, and that was a very small pilot trial because, you know, we don't want to invest a large amount of money until we've got a pretty good indication that something is going to work. So we ran that on 10 individuals, 10 women with fibromyalgia, and had a very good response to the treatment. It was placebo-controlled, so everyone received placebo and everyone received the treatment as well. Um, and they did significantly better when they were on the LDN. And the, the best part was the side effects were very, very minimal. So, you know, a few people said they had more vivid dreams, but that was the worst of it. So we had a really good response to that first study. So we then, we've collected 30 more individuals, and we actually finished data collection about a year ago, um, but I'm still just now wrapping up the analyses. So those are going to be reviewed probably in the next month and should be published in three months or so from now. Mm -hmm. So where do you see LDN going? Um, well, where I'm going to take it is, you know, so far I've used it for fibromyalgia. Where I'm testing it next is on pediatric fibromyalgia. There's actually a, a lot more children with fibromyalgia than most people realize. And the problem is because they have a developing brain, we don't want to hit them with really hardcore drugs that could mess up neural development. So I think LDN is going to be, uh, you know, potentially excellent uh, treatment course for children because it seems to be so easily tolerated. So definitely 
pediatric cases of fibromyalgia. I'm also testing it on um, Gulf War illness, which are veterans who uh, seem to have chronic pain and fatigue. It seems a lot like fibromyalgia, so I'm going to test it on them as well. And then I think ultimately where I hope to see it go, and we haven't tested this yet, but really any condition where there could be inflammation in the central nervous system, kind of a, a low-level autoimmune condition. It could explain some cases of depression, um, definitely a lot of conditions where people are feeling fatigue, so chronic fatigue syndrome, different pain conditions. And I think a lot of these may actually be helped to some degree with, with LDN. So, you know, I kind of see it as a kind of like how we take aspirin right now for inflammation in the body, I see it as potentially being aspirin for the brain, something that can cross the blood-brain barrier and calm down inflammation in the central nervous system, which could help a, a lot of different conditions. I mean, are you able to tell us how you think LDN works? Yeah, I the the theory that I'm working on is a little bit different than the one that most people... Um, kind of talk about, because I think the most common hypothesis is that the LDN blocks endogenous opioids for a little bit of time, so there's a rebound in the opioids, and that causes its effects. I, I'm i not sure that's the major cause of the beneficial um, response. What I believe is happening is there are uh, immune system cells in the brain called microglia, and those cells are normally floating around and they're normally looking for problems. And if there's a virus, they'll help fight that off. And they basically protect the brain from damage. One of the side effects, when they become activated, they release cytokines that make people feel sick. And they can actually, if they're around too long, they can start to destroy neurons. So they're neurodegenerative. Um, an example is if, if you get the flu and you feel really horrible and sick and you don't want to do anything, you just want to lay in bed, that's actually caused by your own immune system. The microglia are producing chemicals that make you feel sick. And the reason they do that is to get you in bed so your body can devote all of its resources to fight off the infection. But what we think in a lot of conditions is these microglia have become chronically activated. They're producing these cytokines in the brain and they're causing... Um, fatigue and chronic pain and, and other conditions. And so I think that lotus naltrexone um, can block those microglia from producing the cytokines. It essentially calms them back down, and that can happen in the brain. It can also happen in the spinal cord. And so it's keeping microglia from producing the chemicals that can destroy neurons and, and cause lesions or, or cause uh, pain and fatigue and flu-like symptoms. Some people have started doing double dosing. What would you think mm -hmm. of that? You know, I can only speak to things that we've directly tested in the lab because I don't see patients outside of a research protocol. Mm -hmm. I have less flexibility to try different dosing schedules. Our, the way I currently approach the dosing is... If you get too high, now remember naltrexone was originally formulated to completely block opioid receptors. 
And for a lot of conditions, that's something you don't want to do. So in fibromyalgia, which is a pain condition, if you block the opioid receptors, you've basically blocked endogenous opioids. So you've blocked the body's ability to reduce pain. So that's why we don't give the full amount. So the danger is as you get higher and higher with the dosage, you get closer to that point at which you're going to actually antagonize natural pain-killing systems, which we don't want to do. So that's why it's at 4.5. I just don't know what that upper limit is and and what point it actually becomes um, counterproductive. We've only tested 4.5, and we've gone down to 3 occasionally if someone had side effects, but we've never gone up past 4.5. Now, I'm working with some new researchers who are experts at computer systems that can determine the optimal dose. So basically, you take a dose, you record how you feel, the computer takes that and then changes the dose a little bit. So you try a new dose and it figures out for that individual what their best dosage is. And so that may be something we we employ for LDN to see if maybe for some people a higher dosage may work just fine, but we haven't tested it yet. Some of the things that have come up, um, you know, I get a, well, I probably get a email or a call about lotus naltrexone at least twice a day. So a very steady kind of slew of questions about this. One of the most common questions, um, a lot of people are trying to make the LDN themselves. Uh, I know they're taking the full 50 milligram tablets and they are trying to dissolve that in liquid and then divide out the liquid and you know, I understand that, that people are probably doing that because it's very difficult to get a hold of the compounded 4.5 milligrams. Um, but if people can go through a legitimate route, if there's any way to do that, I, I highly recommend that because it is very hard to dose these things yourself and to come up with, with the right dosage in each, um, each capsule or each kind of little liquid vial that you're trying to make. So uh, there's some danger not that it's probably going to cause any physical harm, but it's it's tough to uh, to divide it out yourself. So I generally advise people to try not to do that if they can avoid it. People have asked about a lot of different conditions, whether it works for arthritis, and I've been asked if it works for asthma, if it works for cancer, and you know my general answer to those is it's any of these things are possible. But the only way we know for sure is if we directly test it in an experimental protocol. So I always have to tell people that there's just no way to know. Um, You know, it could help rheumatoid arthritis because, of course, there's a strong autoimmune element to rheumatoid arthritis. But we have to test it first. So there's all these potential conditions that could be greatly helped. And it may, as I mentioned before, it may expand to depression. It could help psychological disorders you know we already know that it's helping with Crohn's disease so gastrointestinal inflammation a lot of potential conditions that could be helped but you know each one of those require their own study so I think we need more people who are trying LDN with other uh, other conditions that would be helpful Uh, let's see another thing is I'm already starting to try to look at if we know how LDN works, is there a way we can optimize the treatment? And this is something I probably mentioned uh, a year ago, but the progress is very slow in this regard. Naltrexone 
has two halves. It has a, a left side and a right side. The, um, the left side is responsible for blocking opioids, and the right side, which we call dextro, dextronaltrexone, is responsible for blocking the microglia. So there's actually a compound where we just take the half of the naltrexone that seems to be having the positive effect, and if we could give that to people, we might actually be able to increase the dosage and increase the efficacy without increasing side effects. So one of the potentially new exciting things that could come in the next few years is an optimized form of naltrexone, which would be called dextronaltrexone, which could be given to people and would work very much the same way but maybe even more potent, which would be very exciting. The problem is that it's only available for animals right now, and it takes so much money to go through the uh, regulatory process to get that okayed for human consumption. And is it easy to get people to work with you on LDN over there? Uh, you know, you have to find people who are open if they're, you know, trained in the classic kind of medical allopathic uh, system, then they're very skeptical of lotus naltrexone. Um, but most people uh, recently coming out of medical school seem to be very open-minded, and now there's enough literature where you can convince people that this is something worth looking at. So um, I haven't tried to convert researchers over to lotus naltrexone, but I, I'm sure to mention it every time I can, and I'm starting to get interest from people, and they're willing to put some of their time behind researching it themselves. Sure, Lovely. Of and, and thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. No problem. Hope it helps. <laughs> okay. I'll keep in touch. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. I'd like to introduce Dr. Laurie Marzell from the United States who prescribes LDN. Thank you for joining me, Laurie. It's a pleasure, too. Could you tell us when you first heard about LDN? I, I first heard about it maybe five years ago, something like that, when I uh, was aware of using it for cancer cases. And I found it very interesting, although I didn't start using it at that time because I don't treat a lot of cancer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when did you stop prescribing it? I started using it for arthritis and especially autoimmune rheumatoid arthritis, things like that, uh, maybe four years ago or so. And um, I found it was good. But when I really started using it again, was when I had a personal case, a friend and a former patient who developed uh, cancer. And she, I sent her to a variety of doctors that I thought would be good and would be absolutely at the best of prescribing any type of treatment that would any kind of alternative treatment that would be beneficial for her and they weren't prescribing this because uh, I talked to one of the doctors and they were afraid of uh, the institution they were working under the umbrella of didn't recommend this treatment and, and I couldn't believe it. So I started prescribing it myself. Within 
a very, very short period of time, a few days, this patient who was supposed to deteriorate and die within a few weeks um, developed more energy, better mood, and lived about six or seven months instead of just a few weeks to a month. Mm -hmm. So I was very, very impressed with the almost immediate effects that it had on this patient. She had less pain. She did, she did not require the type of pain medication that everyone else expected of her. And she was able to live long enough and in a more comfortable way to say goodbye to her family and to not suffer to the extent that everyone else expected her to have to go through. I was very impressed with this. Mm-hmm. And have you prescribed for any other conditions since then? Then when I saw this case, I reviewed the immunology of this of using this drug in a small dose. And um, I reviewed the work of several of the doctors that had used it and published, and I attended the conference last year, and I started using it for almost everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I now use it, if there's an autoimmune component, I think of this drug and I use it and I have great results. If there's an inflammatory problem, I use it. If there's pain, I would rather use this than all the more severe side effects that patients could develop from pain medication. Um, And I'm also really impressed using this for mood disorders when someone is depressed or anxious. And I wanted to mention a case that was one of my favorite cases that I would like to talk about. And this is a woman who had a very aggressive form of breast cancer. It was treated, but she was unable to take hormone replacement therapy, one of the few cases that I really could not at this time bring hormone replacement on board with. Um, She was anxious, depressed, and um, extremely negative, and her whole family was, um, she, she was miserable herself, and her family was miserable. And I was impressed by um, the concept that one of the doctors brought to me that I spoke to about this, um, that it could be used to not only treat cancer, but to prevent cancer. And I thought this drug would not only stimulate the body to produce hormones that would prevent cancer, but also treat her anxiety and depression. So I said, let's try it and see what happens. Within a few weeks, her daughter reported back to me and said, I have noticed a difference in my mother's attitude. And she said, thank you, I have my mom back. And um, that really touched me. Mm -hmm. And 
she's using that to this day, and she's every time I talk to the family members, they say she's she is better. She, her mood is better. So that was a very rewarding case. Mm, very. I've also used it um, quite a bit for fibromyalgia, and I've been absolutely. I think the the results are just almost unbelievable. I've had patients that I've worked with in food allergies and um, a variety of alternative therapies, and they just weren't working up to the level where the patient was receiving relief. And I had one patient that was just chronic fibromyalgia, complaining, crying, taking very heavy doses of pain medication, and I said, if you're willing to cut this out, we could try low-dose naltrexone, and I explained to her how it would work. Within a few days, I really honestly, within a few days, she called me up crying and thanking me that she'd finally found something that had given her pain relief, and the pain was gone. And I've used it on several other cases of fibromyalgia since then with excellent results. It's so thrilling to hear all these stories. It really is, you know. Um, and doctors do enjoy prescribing LDN, like yourself, saying every time somebody comes in that you're looking for an autoimmune component or pain. I mean, it it just has so many uses, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So... Have you noticed any adverse effect, any side effects that aren't very good with any of your patients? When I prescribe this, I always tell patients that it may wake them up at night. It may um, make them jittery, and they should watch out for that, and they might have strange dreams. But I have noticed with a few patients that um, sometimes it's, they when they first start it, it may make them so jittery that they do get a little anxious when they wake up. And sometimes that goes away, and sometimes they have to have it during the day instead of before they go to bed at night. I did notice one or two patients, I think, developed a little bit of high blood pressure. So I brought on board some treatment for that and decreased the dose and some patients really, um, I've had a few that were very, very sensitive, and I had to really make the dose very small, smaller than the recommended amount, but not not many. Mm-hmm. Most patients um, do well and adjust to it, and they say, oh, I don't care if I have some strange dreams. So what? I'm pain-free. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good. I have energy. <laughs> And so most adjust well. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, let me let me just make a statement about using it with arthritis because mm-hmm. I've been so impressed with using it for this purpose. Uh, I had a case that had psoriatic arthritis just started developing, and psoriasis is an autoimmune disorder. So I I started the patient on a medication. She was also consulting with um, a rheumatologist at the same time. 
and the rheumatologist said immediately that he wanted to go in and inject the joint joint with a steroid and and she said, "Well, let me try this first and give me about two months and if it's not working, you know let's do it." She was very active and was afraid that it was in her foot, and she was afraid that with a deformed joint that would inhibit her activity so she tried the um, naltrexone. It worked. The pain went down within a week. Within a few days, she noticed the pain in the joint was diminished. And it recurred a little bit, but then it kept uh, diminishing as she continued the dose. And when she went in to see the rheumatologist to decide if further aggressive therapy needed to be done, um, the pain had mo- had almost totally resolved, and there was no joint deformity. And when he examined the the rheumatologist and examined the joint, he said, "I don't think it's worth injecting this joint. It seems to be, you know, doing pretty good wow. <laughs> because it's not worth doing." <laughs> and um, I had another patient that had an, and I didn't expect it to work with this particular patient who had osteoarthritis. And I thought, well, that's not really an autoimmune disorder. It's, it doesn't fit the the immune uh, criteria for this drug to work this way. And I said, well, you know, I, I tried everything else, and it wasn't working, and it was a particularly severe type of osteoarthritis where he was getting deformity of the joints. And I um, sent him to a rheumatologist because I, I just wanted to make sure that the joints were becoming so deformed. I wanted to make sure I wasn't dealing with um, an autoimmune or an inflammatory type of arthritis. And he said, no, this was just a type of osteoarthritis that was going awry and um, that the patient would have to start taking um, high-dose, non-steroidal, anti-inflammatory drugs right away. This is the only thing to do for it. And uh, I had started the patient just before he was seen by the rheumatologist on uh, naltrexone. And the patient reported, yeah, the pain seems to be going away. It's pretty much gone as long as I take this. Oh, wow. Um, So so the patient went back to see his rheumatologist after... um, after being diagnosed and continuing to work with the naltrexone. And the rheumatologist said, yep, you've got to just keep on and and take all these heavy-duty drugs, which could have hurt his stomach and caused ulcers and that. And uh, he said, I've been taking naltrexone. Are you familiar with it? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I guess you can take that if you want and blah, blah, blah. But you really have to take these or the the joints are going to continue to be inflamed. He goes, well, I'll tell you, I I seem to be doing real well with taking this naltrexone, and I think I'm just going to keep taking it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I've and, not heard uh, that before. That's really good. Hmm. Yes. So I thought, I thought there, there's a whole different area that I didn't really expect it to work in. Mm-hmm. And I I tell my patients something I think is really important in using this type of therapy because I'm a naturopathic physician and my patients want 
just to enhance their body. They don't want to take a drug to do something. I tell them the drug isn't doing this. It is your own body. It's, it's the endorphins and metencephalons that are being stimulated by your own body that are that is doing the work. It's it's not the drug. The drug is just stimulating that from your body. Mm-hmm. So and that makes a difference to them, well, I think. Exactly. I mean, so many people just do not want to take any toxic drugs do they that could potentially have awful side effects well i am pretty darn impressed with (laughs) therapy (laughs) thank you very much laurie for sharing your experience with us i'd like to introduce mark sugman who's originally from the soviet union but is now in chicago u.s thank you for joining me mark sure thank you very much for inviting me I forgot to say that you're a psychiatrist who uses LDM, which is very interesting. Could you tell us more about that, please? Well, being a psychiatrist is, uh, every patient is a challenge. We don't have, well, unfortunately, our uh, medical system wants us to use guidelines and uh, treat uh, every depression as depression. But uh, each patient is is different and I want to see them different. When I learned about uh, low-dose naltrexin now three, four years ago, I was already prepared for the idea of um, medications working differently in small doses and uh, for the idea of, uh, well, what naltrexin community uh, talks about teasing receptors or making receptors more sensitive. But at that time, I was thinking about um, increasing uh, sensitivity of dopamine receptors because what is this is what psychiatrists are doing they're trying to increase dopamine and uh, I already had this idea that um, if I use uh, antipsychotic medications in very low doses then I might uh, increase sensitivity to dopamine well I didn't finish this work I just was about to start cutting my pills in pieces mm-hmm. and give people very small doses and actually I found one of the very good candidates for this work one medication it's even uh, is produced in capsules so it's easy to use low doses naltrexone and then I uh, on one of the uh, meetings I met uh, I met my colleague a psychiatrist uh, who herself she's taken a lot of vitamin supplements and one of the pills that uh, she had at her box was low dose naltrexin. She told me about about this and it was like lamp. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, well, light, light was on because I was also treating, by that time I was treating a lot of um, addiction. Uh, I'm not interested in all kind of addiction. I don't know what to do with... Um, Oh, with cocaine, uh, but I know what to do with alcohol and with uh, opiates. Linda, are you still here? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, because you now my computer blinked and I thought you were gone. So, um, uh, one of the immediate uh, uses for low dose naltrexone I saw uh, for people who uh, successfully wean themselves off of uh, opiates. 
and then uh, just don't feel well and they don't feel well for weeks and for months mm -hmm. uh, it is so called uh, post opioid withdrawal syndrome pause uh, internet is kind of full of um, blogs people are asking each other what to do for that and no, nobody has an answer uh, one of the answers is just traditional uh, big dose of naltrexone it's not a good answer it's not a complete it's not it's not it's not doing what a small dose of naltrexone is doing so uh, it was kind of um, eye-opening experience when I saw uh, so the literature when I started uh, prescribing low, low dose of naltrexone. Um, I see a variety of uh, conditions that uh, naltrexone can be used for. Uh, looks like it improves uh, obsessiveness. Looks like it is working for trichotillomania. Looks... Um, well, I am... Um, working right now and combining what is called Sinclair method and uh, well Sinclair method essentially uh, is a method when the patient takes uh, naltrexone prior to uh, doing something that he doesn't want uh, to do anymore uh, to extinguish behaviors mm -hmm. are not um, well, that has to be extinguished. Uh, unfortunately, uh, well, great. Uh, it, it was a great idea. Uh, it, it works very often, but unfortunately, Sinclair did all his work on um, rats. And, you know, rats are drinking for a totally different reason uh, compare, comparing to people. Mm. Rats are not drinking because their boss is drinking. Rats are not drinking because their daughter is not behaving. Yeah. So, so uh, Sinclair method is uh, good, but uh, it has to be modified. And it seems like low-dose naltrexone uh, is a wonderful step in modification of this uh, Sinclair method. So it looks like, and I'm working right now, um, it can uh, it ca can work for all kind of addictions, uh, process addictions. It can uh, work for gambling, for overeating. Uh, I do not have final uh, decision for myself um, whether it works good sometimes or whether it's just anecdotal, but I see very good results. Uh, it works for depression. Uh, many of the depressions uh, respond to narcotics, and this becomes one of the choices where nobody else is working. But interestingly, it responds to low-dose low naltrexone even better than narcotics without the risks of prescribing narcotics and taking narcotics for... Actually, I had a friend who used to say, don't uh, hammer your... Uh, nails with microscope. So, narcotics are mu much more com complicated uh, things to use for uh, depression than than low dose naltrexone. Mm -hmm. So, looks like uh, I I think psychiatry is another uh, area where low dose naltrexone can be used and used successfully. 
I want to prepare a number of cases to report. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like there is a science behind. I know another theory uh, behind why naltrexin is working is uh, that it affects macroglia in the brain and decreases inflammation. Well, uh, lately in the literature, a lot of uh, buzz about connection of depression with inflammation. And yeah, really, if a caveman had uh, had pneumonia, well, Mother Nature better keep this caveman in the cave, not, <laughs> not to let him, well, what is the best way is to do it, well, to just uh, to make uh, make him depressed. <laughs> depressed man is sitting in the cave. Mm-hmm. Um, the funny thing uh, does, uh, it's about funny thing, again, uh, anecdotal, anecdotal evidence, but uh, is love uh, a variant of depression. You know, people in love and people in depression are sometimes very similar. Uh, cannot eat, cannot sleep, uh, are preoccupied with uh, all our bad thoughts or thoughts about the, their loved one, uh, obsessive, uh, cannot see things straight. Uh, so, <laughs> You know, again, it's an anecdotal, anecdotal thing, but it worked even for love, not <laughs> only for depression, <laughs> for love that you want. <laughs> and uh, ma- many of the sexual practices that uh, people want to extinguish are also dopaminergic and uh, endorphin uh, producing. All of these uh, sexual practices with uh, incurring pain or without incurring pain just sexual practices that people want to change, probably also might respond to careful manipulation of of these neurotransmitters. So when I will be ready, <laughs> I can probably each of this is a topic by itself <laughs> <laughs> to present or to, to have some theoretical explanation why it should work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it would be very good um to do a part two of the interview when you've got some cases to quote from when you've done some studies. Mm-hmm. That would be very good. But thank you very much for sharing your experience with us. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.